Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Back in America's early days, if you were a politician, there was one thing that almost everyone expected from you. Booze. George Washington once ran for office in Virginia and supplied, and listen to the numbers here, 160 gallons of alcohol to 391 voters. James Madison, however, was not a fan of this booze-for-votes approach. So when he ran for the Virginia House of Delegates in 1777, he decided he'd run on issues and character, and he lost. We'd like to think of voters as well-informed, and they pay a great deal of attention to politics, but the evidence suggests that they have better things to do with their lives. In 2012, a political scientist named Gabriel Lenz wrote a book about what really influences voters. And Lenz said, look, people are focused on their kids and their jobs and paying the bills, and they don't care much about politics. And that makes us worry that they may be influenced by superficial things like uh, rum, rum punch on Election Day, as provided by George Washington. Lenz is an associate professor of political science at the University of California, Berkeley. And his book, which is called Follow the Leader, has gotten a lot of attention in the era of Trump. Because of what it can teach us, Lenz looked back at past presidents and he asked a simple question. Do we lead politicians on issues or do politicians lead us? For example, if most people in a given state are pro-choice and they only want politicians who are also pro-choice, the voters are leading because politicians have to adopt the voters' view of things if they want to stay in office. That, Len says, is how we often think democracy works. Democracy is supposed to be about uh, voters expressing their will on public policy, whether or not they want more gun control or lower taxes or more school spending, and then politicians go off and do voters' will. But there's another version of democracy, which is um, uh, not one that we like to think about. But uh, when you look at the data, it's one that seems surprisingly prevalent, which is that instead politicians tell voters uh, what to think. And voters uh, parrot, to some degree, those ideas back to us. In that scenario, we decide who we like. And if that politician says, I don't really like China's approach to foreign policy, then we say, yeah, we don't like China's approach to foreign policy either. That's the scenario which Lenz's data tends to support, and the one in which politicians lead us. Which is not crazy behavior on behalf of voters. We're mostly busy, and instead of researching every issue, we find politicians that we identify with, and we allow those people to make the decisions. Lenz's findings shed a lot of light on the political moment we find ourselves in. We all believe that our views come from our own philosophies. And when you ask voters where their views come from, they'll tell you, it's not my party. It's my own personal uh, right. views and my own learning and all, all these things. And undoubtedly, that's true for many people, especially the kinds of people who listen to a great show like yours uh, and who <laughs> care about politics and pay attention to the news. Um, and the hard thing to remember is that's just not most most people. And my uh, my favorite statistic on that is, and just listeners can think about this in their heads, what percentage of Americans know that the Democrats are more pro-choice and Republicans are more pro-life on abortion, which has been a very salient issue for many decades. Parties have very consistent positions. 
And yeah, and I bet most people listening to this show know the answer to that question. But if you look at voters, it's about half of voters uh, seem to be able to uh, know um, or know that uh, question. Only about half of voters know that the Democratic Party is more pro-choice, Republican Party more pro-life. Yeah. That's true for most of the major issues that we can ask voters about. Uh, most people just don't pay enough attention to politics to know that. And if you're skeptical, I'd encourage you at your next family get-together or uh, office party when you're talking to somebody who doesn't care much about politics, ask them that question and you'll be surprised how often you'll get the wrong answer back from people. And I think that's the basic problem for democracy in that you'll – when people haven't thought about these questions much and don't have well-developed views and all of a sudden they're asked about them on a survey – Uh, the first thing that comes to mind maybe is what position does their party hold or what position does their president uh, that they like hold? And then they just parrot that back. And uh, so a lot of what we see in surveys is very suggestive of that. And uh, my book was written a few years ago, but the Trump administration has been great on this front because Trump has taken a number of positions that are very different from the Republican uh, uh, Party. And yet surveys are consistently showing that Republicans are jumping on the sort of Trump bandwagon and opposing free trade, which has been a historic Republican uh, position to be supportive of free trade. And supportive of Russia, Republicans have generally been more anti-Russia. Um, um, and so very quickly you see all of these sorts of switches. So part of the reason is that it's just about low information and voters not knowing much about politics and just having to come up with an answer on a survey. And I think that's one of the ways that this happens. What does that say to you? And I have seen some of those polls on Russia, for example, like – Republicans historically, well, if you think back to 2012, the presidential candidate was Mitt Romney and Mitt Romney was asked, like, what is the biggest uh, threat to us internationally? And his answer was Russia. Russia does continue to battle us in the U.N. time and time again. I have clear eyes on this. I'm not going to wear rose-colored glasses when it comes to Russia or Mr. Putin. And I'm certainly not going to say to him, I'll give him more flexibility after the election. After the election, he'll get more backbone. And I think largely his party wasn't like, you're crazy. They were like, that sounds that sounds fine to us. <laughs> um, yeah. And yes, indeed, Democrats now are a lot more worried about Russia than they ever were. Republicans are less worried about Russia. What does that tell you about the fact that, like, in some ways, if we like somebody or dislike somebody— it can totally change our view on a substantive issue. And it's all just due to, like, our love or hatred for a person. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it, it tells it tells us a great deal, and it creates real concerns about the use of polling and democracy and that you – politicians, they want to know what to do from voters to some extent, and they look to the polls for that. And the danger is that those polls often reflect just top-of-the-mind responses uh, to people that are deeply influenced by who's popular at the time, whether it's Trump or mm-hmm. Obama or Bush. So it, it makes it very difficult for politicians to actually read what voters want. Mm-hmm. And it potentially gives them a great deal of leeway to do whatever they want, mm-hmm. which uh, could be good if those politicians are, are wonderful. And it can be very dangerous if those politicians aren't so wonderful. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm speaking with Gabriel Lenz, an associate professor of politics at UC Berkeley. He's author of the book, Follow the Leader, How Voters Respond to Politicians' Policies and Performance. 
Um, so to that point, th- this idea that, you know, politicians don't really have to look to voters um, or to polls to see what policies to support. Um, you offer up this example from history. Uh, it happened during the 2000 presidential campaign. George W. Bush was running against Al Gore, and uh, Bush comes along and he proposes this idea uh, to invest Social Security money in the stock market. And, you know, whether you like the idea or not, it was something new, it was something creative, and Bush thought, uh, this is going to appeal to, you know, at least some segment of voters, and it's going to win me over a few people. I am here with a message for America and to put my opponent on notice. The days of spreading fear and panic are over. The days of delaying, dividing, and demagoguing are over. When I am elected, this generation and this president will save Social Security. But what you say is it didn't do anything because people had already decided what they thought of him and policies were not really the way they were deciding. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So in the book, I look across many, many elections where we have great survey data uh, on voters and never find cases where voters start with a position like I think investing in Social Security funds in the stock market would be a good idea, learn which candidate supports that and then switch to vote (laughs) for that candidate or become more favorable. It's very hard to find uh, um, looking across many countries and many elections. Uh, And instead, it all seems to be the reverse process. And it makes you wonder, why do politicians focus so much on issues and care so much about this? I don't know if people remember that election, but uh, there was a great Saturday Night Live skit about how Al Gore wanted to uh, put Social Security funds in a lockbox and put the key uh, (laughs) under his car of the majority leader. My plan, Jim, is different. Rather than squander the surplus on a risky tax cut for the wealthy, I would put it in what I call a lockbox. A lot of time and energy was spent on that issue in that election, and yet there's very hard to find any evidence that anyone focused on it at all when they voted. And instead, they just learned their party's position or candidate's position and then followed them on the issue. Hmm. Let's talk about track record. Even if we don't really sort of tell politicians what to do by saying, these are the policies we support, get on board, how much do we look at what they've done in the past, how successful they've been, and say, okay, well, I'm going to use that as evidence of what they will do in the future? Uh, So we have quite a bit of evidence that they do look at their track records, but they make a mistake when they look at those track records. Um, And it's one that has tremendous implications for our elections. So for president, the best predictor of who's going to win in uh, in the presidential elections is the economy in the short period before the election. Okay. And if it's booming, we reelect our presidents with overwhelming margins, like in 1984 with Reagan or 1964 with Johnson. Uh, And if the economy just turns down ever so slightly, even if it's just for six months or a few months, Mm. we throw them out. um, And uh, people referred to that as uh, myopic economic voting. Mm. And a metaphor that Larry Bartels and Chris Aiken, uh, uh, professors at Vanderbilt and Princeton, uses that they describe it as a game of musical chairs. The economy... uh, goes up and down. Mm -hmm. Politicians don't have that much control over it. There's been regular recessions over time. We can't predict them. So far, we haven't been able to stop them. They don't usually last very long. 
But if you're a politician and it happens to happen just before your election, you are out of luck. Mm. And there's not much you can do about it. And we probably do not want to be picking our presidents like a game of musical chairs. Mm. Um, but that's largely what we're doing. And do you see you – now, there obviously have been specific issues. I think about like gun control and – you know, obviously everything that has come out after the shooting in, in Parkland, Florida, um, and there's been a tremendous amount of uh, push all in Florida specifically, but at the national level and in different states for gun control. But one of the things you found and that we've talked about is that individual issues do not tend to drive things. It tends to be more of how do people like candidates and how do they feel about the economy? Do you think that's up for any change at all this time? <laughs> yeah, it's a really great question. So one one concern I have about my research on this topic is that we may only be observing cases where politicians haven't taken unusual or extreme positions. And so voters just don't have any good reason to pay enough attention. Um, and it's possible that Trump will step so outside the mainstream that more voters than normal wake up and start paying attention and start voting. And we're seeing some signs of that, um, especially in the turnout of younger, uh, turnout of women has all been going up in these special elections. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that maybe we will see an exception to the patterns that show up in, in my book, um, where people do clue in, do wake up. Um, I think another thing to recognize is because most people don't pay too much attention, they're hard to reach, uh, but yeah. when you do reach them um, and you do reach them on an issue that really does matter to them, uh, you really can shape public opinion. Uh, there's a lot of slack in the system. There's a lot of opportunity for, for leaders to get out there, for groups to get out there and mobilize and change voters. And we've had times in our past where turnout rates were higher than they are now. Um, and the other thing that's really important to recognize is although we see so much polarization and so much division among elites, voters mostly want the same things. They mm -hmm. want good schools. They want good roads. They want good health care. They want good government. They want good jobs. Um, they want wage, wage growth. These are the things that voters care about time and time again. And uh, if you provide those to voters and, or make them realize that your current politicians are not providing them, I think that they, they really can pay great attention and, uh, and there is opportunity for change. Hmm. Gabriel Lenz is an associate professor of political science at the University of California at Berkeley. He's also author of the book, Follow the Leader, How Voters Respond to Politicians' Policies and Performance. Gabriel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Footnote to all this. Since the 1950s, our elections have gotten more national. And not elections you would expect to be national, like the election of a president. House and Senate races have also become more nationalized, meaning that whether you identify as a Republican or a Democrat increasingly matters. And how you feel about the president, do you love him, do you loathe him, that's going to impact how you feel about those who align with him. We've got the data on how elections have become nationalized. That's on our website, innovationhub.org.